Hey, what's up, everyone? Sam Shaw here, founder of Wall Street Mastermind. I'm back here today with another client interview for you guys. I'm excited to be on with Chris today. Um, Chris is, uh, you know, one of our clients that recently just uh, broke into investment banking. Uh, actually, from a pretty unique background, he was uh, he was previously in uh, sales and trading, and so, um, you know, that's not something that we see very often. And so I definitely want to get him on here and uh, have him share his experience a little bit. And uh, I'm sure there are other, other people out there who are, you know, kind of trying to make the same type of switch and maybe wondering if it's possible. And so, um, you know, I just want this conversation to hopefully benefit you guys. So Chris, thank you for uh, taking the time to talk to us today. Of course. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Um, you know, I think it's, I, you know, I've been, I've, I was really working hard towards this and, you know, Sam has truly helped me a lot with the process, um, you know, and, you know, I'm really excited to be here. Absolutely. Um, so to start, I mean, obviously I just gave like a high level two second overview, but if you can maybe introduce yourself a little bit, like let, let people know kind of like what your background is and, just so we can kind of level set on, you know, what the context is here. Of course. Yeah. So um, I graduated from Carnegie Mellon University in May 2019. Um, you know, it's not your typical target school, if you want to call it that, especially for banking. I, I would say that it's more targeted towards a quantitative background within maybe like, you know, um, be it like ETF trading or index trading or maybe even like quant trading, like a Citadel comes into mind when you think about it. Um, you know, but I was fortunate enough to still land a sales and trading role right out of college. Um, and, you know, I was part of this uh, within the sales and trading side. I was a junior trader and a desk analyst, if you want to call it that, um, on the leveraged loans desk. So my desk specifically focused on looking at um, companies in the middle market space that were either on the verge of filing for bankruptcy or have already filed and are in the process of emerging from bankruptcy. Um, and, you know, I got a chance to really look at companies from a credit fundamental perspective, which truly helped me, you know, I think in the long run, grand scheme of things, make a transition into banking. Um, you know, I think some of the skill sets that you develop in a sales and trading role, if you're not in, and, and, and what I want to clarify here is not a vanilla equity sales trading type of role. I'm talking more of a role where you're actually quantifying a skill set, where you're actually learning about, you know, how a business operates and really understanding a company's cash flow model. Um, so, you know, my seat, you know, I think the skill sets that were truly required were, you know, being able to understand and perform due diligence on a company for one, and then being able to understand it such that you can portray it and relay it to your accounts that you're talking with who can potentially trade with you um, one day in the future. So I think that skill set alone really truly helped me. And I think a lot of people who might be in my seat in a sales and trading background or might be starting a sales and trading background but want to do banking should really think about that when they choose their seat that they want to be in. Um, and, you know, I think that through that experience that I got while building relationships, obviously, like you have to network with people in banking if you want to get into that. It's not just going to be something where you apply, you know, click and apply and you get it. Um, you know, I think you have to definitely do that while you're learning your day to day job and you have to be good at both at the end of the day. So, you know, I think that there's a few moving parts of that, which we can get into later. Um, but um, I think that that's really where my um, experience lied for the last one and a half years. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so, I mean, you joined sales and trading in 2019, right? Um, mm -hmm. Or is it? Uh, yeah, it was 2019. And so you... This was 
I guess, well, like halfway through your first year when you kind of decided you actually want to be in on the investment banking side of things instead, right? Yeah, so- yeah. You know, I think that I realized, you know, and I, I recommend everyone do this, you know, really figure out where you want to be five, seven years down the line before you say you want to do banking or before you say you want to do trading or asset management or research, really understand where you want to be five years down the line so you can place yourself in the seat that helps you get there the best, right? The highest probability of you achieving that seat where you want to be. And, you know, I thought that a banking role would really help me with that. Um, And I think that the generalist toolkit that you would develop would truly help me get there. So that's really when I decided that I wanted to move. Got it. Um, Slightly kind of like taking a slightly different angle to, I mean, related, but uh, because we speak to a lot of students who are maybe still in college and they hear about investment banking and to them, like, investment banking and sales and trading are both kind of a part of investment banking and they don't really uh they don't really realize just how different it can be right and so a lot of students that we talk to uh they'll say oh yeah i want to get into either investment making or sales and trading either one's fine with me right Uh, obviously for you and i we've both gone through uh well you've gone through sales and trading now you're about to go through banking i've gone through investment banking but People that have actually worked in the industry know that the two jobs are actually quite different, right? Even though they're both kind of mm-hmm. under this banking umbrella. So for people that are kind of on the fence about the two, like, what would you say? I mean, I don't think there's like a right answer or wrong answer, but what would you say are kind of like the pros and cons of each or like what went into your decision in deciding, Hey, I'd rather, you know, move from sales and training to investment banking. Cause like, that wasn't a, I'm sure that wasn't like a convenient thing to do, right? The convenient thing to do would have been for you to just continue in sales and trading. You had already gotten mm-hmm. in, but you had to put in all this extra work to make that switch. So sure. how do you kind of think about that? Um, you know, I think you have to really think about it from the perspective of what you bring to the table, right? Um, I think that as someone who's making a transition or even someone who's thinking about figuring out whether they want to be in a sales and trading route or they want to be in like a banking seat, uh, you really want to know, you know, whether you want to be more market focused or you want to be more deal focused, right? Like, are you a more of a transactional person? Do you care more about, you know, really looking at a deal unfold, you know, throughout time and kind of achieving that type of, I guess, I guess success from that, right? Or do you want to be more in a seat where you're looking at the market, you're really closely following the micro and macro economic outlook of the world and really making trades based on that on a daily basis, right? So I think that really, you know, I think when I was in college, that's something I really wanted to be part of, you know, I wanted to be part of the market facing side of things so I can understand how, you know, the secondary market works. But then kind of, you know, later on as time progressed, I realized that still understanding that primary side of the business and that transactional side of the business is going to help me. Um, And I guess just for background, um, the leveraged loan seat that I was current, like that I was part of in the sales and trading side is a good transition into what I'll be doing in the banking side, because I decided that instead of focusing on a restructuring role or an M&A role or, you know, something very bespoke, I, I decided to only shoot for like a leveraged loan seat. So like a leveraged financing group, for example, would be a perfect complement to like what I was doing, right? So instead of, you know, applying to all of the M&A roles that were coming up, I, I really pinned down, you know, what would really 
what, where I could, again, add value and what I would bring to the table. And what I brought to the table in this situation was the market aspect of it, right? Understanding market knowledge, but then also being able to understand loans, the leveraged loan space from a secondary perspective to be able to talk about it from a primary perspective. And I think that's really where, you know, you want to think about, you know, you don't have to do banking right out of college. You don't have to do sales and trading right out of college, but, you know, you have to think about where you want to place yourself so you can kind of use that as a leverage to getting to where you want to be five, seven years down the line. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And so, again, for our more, uh, you know, beginner or entry level, whatever you want to call it, for for a lot of college students out there that are maybe listening to this, um, if we try to explain to them in layman's terms, uh, like your sixth grade brother, you know, what does an investment banker do versus what does a sales and trader do? Like, I would say for investment bankers, you know, you're primarily advising uh, your clients on what, one of two things, right? Uh, these are corporations. You're advising them either on buying or selling other businesses or, or their own business, uh, or you're advising them on raising money either through selling equity or raising debt, right? Or leverage finance would be a part of that. Um, how would you describe sales and trading? Like what, is a sale, what, what does someone in sales and trading do? Yeah, you know, I think that sales and trading is kind of divided into two sides, right? One is the sales side of the business, which is soliciting interest into trading with the firm, right? That's where the salesperson is going to go client to client, hedge fund to hedge fund, whoever your, you know, underlying client might be. In my case, it was a hedge fund or a CLO manager, soliciting interest from them and telling them, hey, I think that these deals that are coming into the secondary market, which the bankers had done, you know, in initially they had underwritten the deal, the loan I'm talking about, um, you know, these are some interesting things that you should look at in the market and maybe you're interested in investing in it um, and adding it to your portfolio, typical to your typical, you know, portfolio that you maintain now of fundamental stocks. Um, and then the trader would therefore, you know, take that order and kind of execute it either from a principal aspect or an agency aspect, which means simply put, um, either you take it, you take risk on your own balance sheet to do these trades, or you broker it in a way where you buy, you find, if you have a buyer, you find a seller, if you have a seller, you find a buyer, right? So it's, it, it's very different um, than a transaction heavy banking seat. But, you know, I think that some of the skill sets you develop, again, are quantitative skill sets where, you know, you really understand how to value a business before you pitch it to someone and how to sell it to someone. You also learn how to, you know, build your qualitative skills where you learn how to like talk to someone about an investment idea and give them different criterias of here are the pros and cons of each situation. Now, where do you stand? Um, and I think that banking kind of goes into that as well. And, you know, you have to figure out there's never there's never a clear answer, shortcut, cookie cutter answer where, you know, this is how you're going to solve a problem that someone might have. Right. It's you have to really understand what the situation is and what you know, what are some possible, um, you know, answers or solutions to those situations. And here are the pros and cons to that. Absolutely. That's awesome. Uh, thanks for that. Review. I mean, so I wanted to just make sure that we talked about that because I just feel like I talked to so many students that have no idea what the difference is. And it's a critical distinction, right? Especially for a lot of these people, it's going to be their first job out of college. And a lot mm -hmm. of times that determines what you're able to do later on down the road, which you were kind of alluding to earlier is like, sound like you made the switch because you were thinking five or seven years down the road, what you actually want to be doing. And so um, just unfortunately, though, not everyone is able to make that switch when, once they 
take that first step, right? So I want to make sure that people really know what they're getting themselves into. Um, so I guess uh, let's shift gears a little bit and let's talk about that transition that you just made. And so what, for someone that, let's say if they start out in sales and trading and maybe they want to go into banking, uh, which I'm sure you're, you're not the only person who's ever wanted to do that. What do you... What do you think are like the biggest challenges that they have to anticipate or they, they have to overcome? Yeah, you know, I think that's a great question. I think one of the biggest challenges is that you can't just blindly apply to a job, right? I think that when you are already planning for a banking role, right, when you're in college, you can some sometimes just apply to a role and get lucky and get that first round interview or, you know, go through the college recruiting process where the HR team, you know, knows you really well through their coffee chats with you at the university level, right? You don't really have a connection that you can make, um, you know, within the banking side of the business just because of that wall that's kind of developed between, between the sales and trading side and the bankers, right? So you can't really ask someone to kind of connect you with a banker because they might not be able to in your side of the business, right? So I think one of the biggest challenges was to, kind of get your foot in the door at any given bank. Um, you know, it could either be a bulge bracket, it could either be a middle market or a boutique. Um, really, you know, I think that that challenge kind of was similar all across the board. I mean, it didn't really come down to where you, you know, where you graduated from at that point or what your GPA was at that point. It really was, can you get your foot in the door and tell me why you add value starting day one? Mm -hmm. Got it. And so like from a, for, for you personally, from like a preparation standpoint, like, what, what went into that, you know, like, obviously, I'm sure there's some overlap, right? For example, when you when you got into sales and trading, uh, you also had an interview process, and probably a lot of the behavioral questions maybe are similar or the same. Although I'm sure you're answering them slightly differently or highlighting different qualities, you know, because they, they look for slightly mm -hmm. different qualities. Um, and then there's, you know, the technical interview, which I'm sure is uh, probably a bit more different uh, because you're looking for different things on the two sides, right? So can you kind of dive into that a little bit? Sure. Yeah. So from the from the behavioral perspective, I think that, you know, a lot of it was similar, you know, the typical, you know, tell me about yourself, tell me about one of your weaknesses, tell me about your strengths, you know, any anything about like how you solve problems from like a qualitative perspective, all the same. But, you know, I think from the quantitative side, things really changed, right? From when I was interviewing for sales and trading, um, you know, a lot of the quantitative technical questions were, tell me about the market or, you know, more statistical analyses type of questions. Um, but now from a banking side, you know, I think the interview questions changed drastically. It was more focused on, you know, like the course you offer, right? Um, it was more focused on really understanding like the three statement model, really understanding, you know, how each line item flows through one another and being able to explain that um, in, in a setting where, you know, you're not explaining it with numbers, but really explaining it with their words. Um, you know, I think that's one thing that really changed. And another thing that really changed was since they don't, you know, they might also be looking at candidates who already have a banking experience, but want to move shops, right? Um, so you have to be able to be competitive at that point. So you have to really show them, look, like, even though I wasn't making M&A models all night, or, you know, accretion dilution models all night, I still know how to do those. But, you know, these are some other skill sets that I've developed over the last one and a half years that you shouldn't forget, right? You have to be very honest at that point. Um, and, and, you know, I think that's really what the differentiation was between my two interviews. Right, right. That's, that's gotta, I mean, 
I feel like you made it sound really easy, but that's that couldn't have been easy to do, right? Which is for someone who's been maybe building MA models and DCF models day in, day out for the last year, versus for you, you didn't have to do that on the job. For you to convince them that, hey, even I even though I didn't have to do it on a job, I learned it on my own is and I'm just as good. Like was that how did you how did you convince them of that? I guess you're like, what did you say? I'm sure that was like the elephant in the room, right? During the yeah. interviews. Like, how did you how do you how did you address that specifically? Yeah, you know, I think that one of the things is just through your technical knowledge, right? Like, I mean, they they're gonna ask you the questions. Like, if you think that you're coming from a sales and trading, or let's just put sales and trading aside for right now. Like, if you come from a research, an asset management, an operational, like any 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 type of role right including sales and trading you are going to get a, you are going to get asked a dcf question you are going to get asked you know tell me about the three statements or you're going to get asked situational questions where look now you have that experience of understanding the market and understanding how companies react well now tell me if a company were to you know have xyz things happen to them how does it affect the three statements right so like making it more situational rather than just asking you quick off the book 400 guide questions um, to see if you know it or not right i think that's really what you have to show them and demonstrate um, to get things right and then obviously um, which i'm sure we're going to touch on throughout this um throughout this interview right now is you know how you prepare for that right i guess that's since since you brought up that's a natural segue so why don't we just talk about it now like so you decided to make this move you knew you had to learn the technicals which you know really is different from what you've been doing on a day-to-day from your sales and trading job Mm -hmm. um and that's kind of primarily what you had us help you with obviously but um you know, you already had, I think, other resources, right? Like you already had uh, the 400 questions guide, uh, probably back from even back from college, like your college days, right? You, um, you already like, and there's even aside from the 400 questions guide, there's so many resources out there, right? So what, why did you, why did you decide to use Wall Street Mastermind to help you prep for the technicals? versus maybe just using one of the more common resources, let's call it, um, that. Sure, yeah. Mm -hmm. No, that's a good question. You know, I think that um, the reason I chose, you know, what I, you know, you know, why I'm even here today is because, um, you know, just looking at the 400 question guide alone doesn't help you, right? Because you start memorizing the line items just one by one, one by one. And you're like, all right, question five is about this. Question six is about this. Question seven is about this. And then you don't really understand the idea or that topic. And, and, you know, the, the factor that really makes it you know, hit home, right? I think that you can memorize, you know, what the differences are in line items for, you know, depreciation, but, you know, understanding why that is affected is very different, right? And you can't really learn that from just reading 600 pages of a 400 question guide, right? I mean, I'm sure there's people who've done it in the past, and I have a couple buddies that have done that, but it's just a lot harder. And I think that with the timeline and the competition, you know, you don't want to risk it. Um, I think that some of the things that were really helpful to me within the program, you know, within in your program specifically, was the fact that you really broke it down into different segments and really, you know, really, really emphasized on the fact that 
you know, it, it, you, like you're really explaining each topic and making sure that you understand why something might be changing or why something might be the way it is, right? And I think that a lot of places um, or, or a lot of material that you can find for free or, you know, online through your college days are, are just not like that. You know, I don't think that, um, you know, I think some of the things that I'm just kind of remembering from top of my head that was helpful was when you really went through each single three, you know, each of the statements and really broke it down line by line to explain, you know, what this means before you even got into the numbers. Um, you know, that was something that really hit home. And I still remember to this day, you know, I think another one was your cheat sheet that you had built, right? That really took everything that you learned and put it on a piece of paper so you can kind of summarize it and understand, like, these are the things I need to know, right? And I don't think that a 400 page guide can do that for you, frankly speaking. And I think that anyone who thinks that they can, you know, well, I challenge them to tell me that that's something that really was efficient for them from a time perspective um, right. just because these interviews only come once yeah no i think that's a great point uh i'm definitely not saying that you can't do it with these guys because obviously there are people out there who do right um i think there's also selection bias though, because we hear a lot of students tell us like well i see so many people that have done it just by using the 400 questions guide or using whatever other, I'm not trying to pick on the 400 questions guide, mm -hmm. but it's a great sure. guide. It's a great guide. But uh, there's a lot of people say, oh, well, I've seen so many other people that have done it. So I should be able to do it too. Um, but the problem is they're not looking at the, all the other people that try to do the exact same thing, but failed, right? And if you look at the uh, relative, uh, if you look at the number of people in each group, relatively speaking, there's a lot more people that try to do it that way and fail than the people who actually were able to do it, right? So I think that's one, it's like, it's a matter of probability, but also two, um, like you said, it's a matter of efficiency, right? Because anything is possible. If I gave you no time limit, you can take as long as you want, uh, anybody can learn anything eventually, right? Like mm -hmm. if you're smart enough, but, uh, Unfortunately, most of the time with investment banking recruiting, that's not how it works, right? Especially like if you're in, if you're in college, um, there is a very like set timeline that you have to recruit by, right? Like if you're not ready, you don't know your stuff by the time recruiting starts, you've already missed the boat, right? If you don't right. get a junior summer internship, it's really hard to get the full-time offer, right? Or even for you, like even though you were already out of college, but I knew, I know when we first talked, you were wanting to make that switch as quickly as possible, right? And then also you are already working 12, 13 hours a day and you're having a study after you get home from work. So you just, you don't have a lot of time. You just want to be efficient, right. With it, right? And so for people that value their time um, and they want to not just do it faster, but do it better in less time, it's always going to be easier for someone who's mm -hmm. a matter expert to teach you something than for you to have to like self-study or teach it to yourself when you don't really know it yet. 
Right. right, of course. You know, I think simply put, I think that a lot of those guys are very binary. They don't really have any, it's very black and white, right? And and I think that when you actually have someone explaining you the concepts and really showing you visually, you know, this is how you get things done, that, that adds a lot of color to it, right? And I think that when you're planning ahead and kind of studying and really figuring out your timeline for recruiting, uh, you have to take that into account, right? You want to increase your probability of getting a job. Um, and only one is, you know, you just got to be lucky once, right? And I, I and I I think that, um, you know, I think that you want to, you want to do what's best for yourself, right? Like I have, I, I know a lot of people that have reached out to me now and have said, you know, well, our, uh, we don't want to really spend a lot of money on our recruiting. Um, you know, I think that maybe, maybe the guides online might be sufficient, right? But like, I ask you, well, you spend so much money on your college to get that brand name on your college resume, but now that extra hundred dollars or that extra few hundred dollars that you have to spend to kind of get that ball rolling to where you want to be. Well, you know, I think that it's a win-win at the end of the day. So, you know, you really want to look at it from that perspective as well. Right. It's an, it's an investment basically, just like right. is an investment essentially. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what about like financial modeling courses? Cause did you, have you, did you take any financial modeling courses like Wall Street Prep or I don't know, there's, there's a couple of those out there, the popular ones, right? Um, even, uh, breaking Wall Street, I think you have one too. Like, did you, did you use any of those for your, uh, technical prep? Yeah, so I, I I originally was using Wall Street Prep, um, you know, and I and I don't want to say anything bad about the course, right? I think that it's a great course. It's very narrowed down to what you want to be doing, but you know, I think that it's similar in the sense that it's like a it felt like YouTube. You're just going through numerous videos where you know the guys quickly speeding through the whole model and kind of showing you how things get done. But then you ask your then then if someone asks you you know a secondary question like the next level thinking of why that might be the case or why that might be the case and you, you know then you really struggle with answering the questions right. um you know i think building a model has another aspect that a lot of students forget is explaining the model right <laughs> you can build a model wow. day and night but if you can't explain the model then you kind of failed at your job right, right. so a lot of these interviews i realized that um, you know, you, especially for lateral recruiting or even recruiting right out of college, people have started asking you to build models for them as like an, uh, as one part of the interview. And I think that back when I was recruiting for, you know, some of these jobs two, three years ago, um, they didn't ask you those types of questions. But now I think it's becoming more common just because of the competition that's been out there. Right. And, and I think that the way you had explained some of the material in your, you know, in your program, it didn't even require a YouTube video of the model being built because you could just understand, you know, what the line items would be right. of an income statement or of a cash flow statement or of a balance sheet. So really, I think that's, um, that's what was really truly helpful. Yeah, no, that's a great way to explain, which is our approach is different in that we are actually teaching you the underlying concepts behind the models. And we're teaching you how to explain the model how to verbalize it because most of the time that's what you're required to do in an interview in fact like for for sounds like maybe for you because it was a lateral position and an experienced hire you actually had to build some models during the interview process they want to know that you can actually come in and hit the ground running and do the job right mm -hmm. for most mm -hmm. of our clients who are trying to go from college uh, or, or even business school into um, a full-time role they actually never get asked to build models in the interviews, but they what they do have to do is verbally explain the concept so that they know you understand it. And then they can teach you all the Excel stuff 
during yeah. training before work starts. But I guess you won't you won't have the luxury of training. You're just gonna hit the desk and just start working. It sounds like. Yeah, you know, I think that there's pros and cons to that aspect of it, but that's a whole nother conversation. You know, I think that some of the models, sure, you're not going to be making the models during an interview, but sometimes when you make the models on Excel to prep for those interviews really truly helps you understand how to visually explain it. Yeah. Um, and I think you were really helpful with that. I remember a few months ago, I was asking you to send me a few models that, you know, could be like potential quiz type of questions that you could get. And I think those were truly helpful. You know, it doesn't, yeah. I, I, you know, I think I want to really emphasize on the fact that when you pay for a course um, that you know someone is willing to teach you can always ask follow-up questions and ask for help right I asked I asked you for a DCF model I asked you for a three statement model I asked you for an LBO right I asked you for a lot of different things outside of what the course already offered me and you know I think that being able to work together as a team to kind of get to where you want to be um, it, it is much more efficient and increases your probability, um, at, you know, at an exponential rate than you'd even imagine. So, yeah, that's a great point. Uh, I don't want to give people the impression that we are against financial modeling. It's more so um, the order of operations, right? Like we, we don't like it when our clients do things out of order and they dive right into like, Hey, let me try to, become an yep. expert building financial models when they came and answered basic questions about how the three statements relate to each other because then that's like the analogy i was using is like that's trying to that's learning how to run before you can even walk right we yeah, want everyone to learn everything conceptually first and then once you have the concept you know internalized then financial modeling is easy that's just like translating what you already understand into excel formulas right and yep. that's not like rocket science and but but if you learn that if you learn the concepts first and then you learn financial modeling you're gonna have a much easier time understanding mm -hmm. what you're doing versus just watching some guy move around in a video on a spreadsheet and then you're just trying to keep up and you have no idea and it's going way over your head right that's what we see all the time which is ineffective right of course right. um Awesome. That's, that's super helpful. So I guess, um, last question for you, uh, cause I don't want to keep you for too long, but, um, what's like one piece of advice that you wish someone would have given you, uh, maybe back when you were first starting this process or, you know, mm -hmm. someone that's in your shoes now, uh, like what's something that you would want to tell them that, you know, you think would have saved you a lot of trouble or, made this process a lot smoother or easier for you? Like what's something that you would tell people? Yeah, you know, I think that I want to break down the advice for people who are recruiting from college right now versus the advice I'd give for someone who's trying to make a lateral switch like I did. Um, you know, for people who are still in college trying to recruit right out of university, I think that one advice I'd give you is that when you're reaching out to people, really try to develop a relationship with them before you ask for the job, right? Like a lot of people will just tell you to be upfront because people are busy and don't want to dilly dolly and, you know, run around circles. But I promise you that you'll have a higher response rate to your cold emails if you just try getting to know the person before you say you want the job or before you say that you applied for the application um, and that you're looking to potentially be an interview candidate, right? I think that um, oftentimes in first round calls, the cold calls, um, you, you, you know, you just kind of right off the bat tell them that you applied for this position and you think it's really interesting and you kind of just start running 
towards that direction. But instead, you should take it a step back and be honest, right? Like that this is something you want to do. And, you know, you're 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 one of the people who, you know, was nice enough to reach out and and reply back. And, you know, now we're on a call and I'd like to just ask you a few questions right. just from that. I promise you that your next question when you ask them if, you, if they can help you is always going to be a yes. Um, I, and I think that increases your probability of kind of get, getting your foot in the door out of college. And then from someone from a lateral perspective, you know, I think that a lot of times people think that once they network with someone and apply is when they're going to get their first round interview. So they have that time period to prep for these interviews. But it's actually quite opposite. It's when you actually network with people and they want to hop on a call with you. I noticed that I think three out of the five calls that I did earlier on um, ended up becoming first round interviews one of which I didn't even know. I, I originally was going in just trying to get to know the person. Um, and, you know, two hours before the call, a guy emailed me and he said, we're just going to make this a first round interview to speed things up. Um, and then the second one, you know, I found out just, you know, I, I told him that I had applied and, you know, yada, yada, yada. And he just said, you know, let's just make this our first round interview. Um, so, you know, I suggest, and, and, and frankly speaking, I wasn't ready for those because I thought that once I kind of talk to this guy and, you know, apply, I'll have that time period in between the, in the interim to kind of study for the interview um, yeah. and kind of get my facts straight. But, you know, I, you should always be ready when you're in, you know, when you're reaching out to people as a lateral, um, you know, to be ready to be interviewed, um, even on the call, just to get to know you. Yeah, man, that's, that's so good. That's such good advice. It's, that's pure gold right there for those of you who are listening. So, I mean, the first point, yeah, I'll just make an analogy. It's like, uh you go to the bar you see a girl you gotta talk to her first before you ask her out on a date right you don't just walk up to her and be like yo do you want to be my girlfriend like that's never gonna work right so you gotta you, you gotta like get to know the person first before you make an ask right or uh, otherwise like they're just not gonna be very very um receptive to that right and then that second point about how you gotta actually be prepared to interview first before you network it's the exact same thing that I always tell my clients. It's like, if you really think about it, uh, what is networking? Networking is really just another form of interviewing. Like you think you're just having this, you know, chat, informational coffee chat with the person. Guess what the banker is doing? The banker is evaluating you. Even if it doesn't turn into a formal interview, they're evaluating you and they're assessing, hey, is, mm -hmm. this, is this someone that I actually want to, you know, refer and put my name next to? And and vouch for because if you don't come across as someone that's qualified and if you don't come across as someone that's likable there's no reason for them to help you right so right. it's just another form of interview you're auditioning essentially for the opportunity to go through the real interview and so i always say like you know what like you got to prep your behaviors before you go into those networking conversations because they're going to ask you about you right you're going to have to have a good story you're going to have to explain why you want to go into banking and you know, all that good stuff. And then like sometimes uh, people will even ask you technical questions. Some bankers that are a bit more hardcore. They just want to like cut to the chase and know if you know your stuff. And if you don't, mm -hmm. let's not waste our time. Right. And so absolutely. I think it's a great point you made that, you know, you gotta, you gotta prepare before you go into these conversations so that you're, you're not making a fool out of yourself, but also not wasting the other person's time. Right. Right. Of course. Um, that's awesome, man. So look, guys, um, I think this has been super uh, insightful. I mean, hopefully for you guys, but definitely for me as well, um, especially 
me personally, I've never worked in sales and trading, right? And so, so it's good to get the perspective of someone that has worked there. And hopefully um, this gives you guys a better idea about the differences between, you know, the investment banking side of the house and the sales and trading side of the house. Um, for those of you that are, you know, kind of considering between the two, just make sure you really do your research and know what it is that you want. Um, like Chris kind of alluded to, they have pretty different um, exit opportunities down the road, right? I would I would argue that um, the exit opportunities for uh, investment banking is is broader, right? Like there's more things that you can go into, whereas for sales and trading, it's it's a more uh, specialized skill set, and there's probably a bit more narrow, right? And so you just want to really make sure that you're not just thinking about tomorrow, but you're thinking two, four, five, seven years down the line, right? Um, but hopefully you guys found this to be insightful. And, uh, you know, for those of you, like if you're looking for help with uh, the investment banking recruiting process, whether it's as a, a college or MBA student, or maybe you're more like Chris, where you're a recent grad and uh, you're trying to make the switch into banking from a somewhat tangential field, but maybe not, you know, exactly banking, um, feel free to reach out and we'll see if we can help you, right? We, we may or may not be able to, depending on your background and situation, and we don't work with everyone, but um, if we can't help you, we're obviously happy to help you. And so uh, the first step to do that would be to just book a free strategy session with our team. Um, you can do that by going to www.wallstreetmastermind.com slash apply. Uh, just know that the street in the URL is abbreviated to ST. So it's wall ST mastermind.com slash apply. And, uh, you know, we'll have someone on our team speak to you, learn more about your situation, figure out what your goals are and what challenges you're having. And uh, we'll try to give you our best advice for what we think uh, you should do. And, you know, whether you want to do that with us or on your own, that's totally up to you. Right. So hopefully that helps you guys. Um, Chris, I want to thank you again for just, being so generous with your time and just coming on here and chatting with us about um, sales and trading and banking and, and all this good stuff. But uh, also congratulate you again on um, your accomplishment and successfully making the transition from uh, trading into banking. And I know you start your new job in two weeks, so um, best of luck with everything and uh, look forward to all the success that you have in the future. And definitely let's stay in touch and, you know, don't be a stranger. Great. Thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. Always love to help. Yeah, absolutely. All right, guys, that'll be it for today. And uh, we'll be back soon with uh, another one of these for you guys in the near future. All right. Thanks for tuning in. Bye.